Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to elders past and present and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. So welcome to our after show uh, with Morgan and Mary and we are talking about sex on the first date. Controversial. (laughs) As I said, I actually, I can't think of a first date I've ever gone on where I haven't already had sex with somebody. Is I mean, really bad? let's define sex first of all. Okay, well, I guess anything involving... Semen? Uh, <laughs> like, no, sweetie, you're old-fashioned. No, no, I think the generally Anything involving genitals. So, so more than kisses. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. Kisses on the butt count, but... Not, like a handy in the car on the way yeah, up. Yeah, handy okay. on the car or something. <laughs> okay. Gobbies. I don't see that as sex, gobbies. but sure. Full, gobbies. Full blown. I love the word gobbies, actually. Gobbies, Thanks for yeah. mentioning that. Gobby, gobby, gobbies. Has anyone done it? Sex. Has anyone? Has anyone not? Has, has anyone not sorry. done it? <laughs> Let's do the gay version of that question. Has anyone not had sex on the first date? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Was that because uh, they did a runner? I imagine you were like dressed as a handmaiden. You're yeah. like, because <laughs> they didn't arrive. Blessed be the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've been on two dates where we didn't fuck on the first date. Yeah. And both times we had to be like annoying, self-referential gay people to be yeah. like, oh my god, can we you need to stop we, doing this. Or can like, you believe we haven't? I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) And it was so wholesome and we even joked about the fact it was very rare that we'd met up, gone on a date, not seen each other's genitals before we'd met Mm, because we hadn't exchanged dick pics. How do you know? And and it it does kind of freak you out a little bit to be Mm. like, no, I just accept that that is normal for me to know how many inches you are, what sexual position you were going to Mm -hmm. fuck me in. Before I've even, like, met you mm. physically, that's just gay life, you know? Like, Yeah, I feel yeah. really shallow saying it, but yeah, it is. No one's wrong. I've had things where, like, I've had friends that I've known for a while. And, and you fucked them before you dated them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've known people before I've had I haven't always had sex with someone and then gotten to know them. I've, I've known people before I've had sex with them. But I've, I don't think I've ever gone with the intention of having a date with somebody and then not had sex after it. It's more of a surprise <laughs> if you get the date. Yeah. You um, know, my like, my favourite's the whole, like, you know, the hot making out starts in the car. And you're like, no, we have to stop this. We can't do this. It's the first date. And you're like, no. I didn't... I, I don't I've never said that. I'm saying I've heard this. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever told me to stop <laughs> and say no, but I've had dates where it hasn't, it's like very politely ended and yeah. an arrangement and has run. been made yeah, for no. a second date, which yeah. they don't show Their up to. Their friends have distracted you while you've run away. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with gay culture being 
this way though. Like it served me well. Mm. I'm not unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not unhappy about it. So I don't necessarily think there's a problem Mm. there. And if, if anything, it highlights how many unnecessary rules there are in heteronormative relationships that it kind of freaks me out talking to some of my straight friends to be like, you've dated or freaks me out watching episodes of Catfish where they say we've been on six dates and no, we haven't had sex or like it doesn't compute to me. Yeah. That that seems like an unnecessary complication to human relationships. Mm. Well, it's me. just an attraction that you have and you just want to have sex with them. Yeah. Like you go on a date with someone and it's going really well and you're like, this is so great. We have such such a connection and all Let's that. Let's fuck. Like, Let's <laughs> fuck right now. Like, But it's just kind of that, I don't know, you just want to keep expanding that and you just yeah. want to feel that connection further and you just want to mm. do it like, and I think, you know, there is the ability to have that, you know, emotional connecting sex as well, which I think is great after a first date. Mm. Do y'all ever feel obligated to have sex on the first date? Because of um, these sort of standards. Depends if they paid or not. No, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like obligated. It just always seems to go that way. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I like having sex with lots of people. Like, like it's, yeah. you don't need to, you know, going to marry somebody in order to want to have sex with them. You can like even have a date and know that you're not going to have another date, but still want to have sex just for the fun of having sex. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I think I attach emotion to sex pretty easily. So I don't tend to have sex with someone until I, I also think, and I don't know, I guess you guys could like this too, but I think for women having sex, you're in the real position of vulnerability. Yeah. So for me, it's a huge thing about like, do I trust this person? And I have definitely had sex people and be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that because I don't trust this person. Mm. And now I feel very fucking stressed. Mm. So I think I live my life on an anxious guilt of like, you could murder me. And then also I just think, yeah, I think when I was younger, I definitely attached sex with power. So I was like, I don't have sex with you. You'll like me for longer. Yeah. Uh, No. And that's really sad. Yeah. Do you think that's healthy? No, No, absolutely not. And I think now the older I am, the more I'm... Because I have friends that are like, I fucked my boyfriend on the first date and we're married. And I have friends that are like, I didn't fuck my boyfriend for six weeks and we're married. So I think if it's right, it will just work out in the wash. Like there's no perfect moment to have sex with someone. If someone really connects with you, they're going to be around where you have sex with them in a week or in six months. It's funny because growing up with heterosexual pop culture and movies and, you know, Meg Ryan movies and that sort of shit, my understanding was like when I first went onto the the scene was like, oh, you can't have sex with someone straight away. Like, you're a total slut if you do that. And of course... And that's all the man wants. Half an hour into my... (laughs) (laughs) Half an hour into my first night at a gay bar and I'm in the toilets giving head. Um, You're like, oh, he's not going to come home. And now it's like, like the idea of anyone in the gay scene, like, giving shit to someone else for not having sex on the first date seems so bizarre and foreign. But prior to joining the gay scene, it's, it seemed like such a big deal because of how mainstream media... heterosexual world is still like that. Yeah. And I think I think that a lot. Like, when I speak to my friends that are dating and stuff, they're like, oh, should I? You know, like, it's still a big conversation. Mm. Like, do you think after three dates? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, babe. Like, he's ugly, but okay. <laughs> um, and do you think that pressure is more on the women than the men? Yes. Yeah. I think men can have sex as many as women as they want, and that's, yeah, like, hero status. And I even think, like, I was thinking this the other day, like, I have a heterosexual housemate. I feel sorry for myself as well. Well, you're doing God's work. Yeah, I'm doing God's work. <laughs> and I often think, like, that if he brought someone home, I would be, like, completely unbothered. But it would probably be weirder for him, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, to yeah. have, like, another boy in his space. Yeah. Sounds really weird. He's never said anything to me. He wouldn't dare. Mm. And I've never brought anyone home. But I think that women... Never. Well, mm. I've only just left my four-year relationship. Okay, it's been sorry, two weeks, Tom. Enough. I'm yeah. stressed. Sorry. I'm crying <laughs> public transport. <laughs> sorry. Um, but I often think, like, because I, I do think that my heterosexual housemate would assume it was someone I was dating. Yeah, right. Automatically. He'd be like, oh, and who's this lovely man? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, no, he's going. Um, Whereas here I am sending you my location, like, on messages <laughs> being like, hey, I'm going to fuck this guy. Like, if, you just, if, do you do that? I don't if 
you don't hear from me in two hours, like something's happened, call the police. (laughs) Please don't go to sleep, Mary. I really need you awake. And I do think there's this thing with women where, and I'm still trying to unpack it, where I have to disassociate my value from like how much sex I have or don't have, or if I have sex with someone, I still, in this weird way, think, oh, if I really like him, I should wait. Mm. And I know, like, intellectually, I know that's stupid. Yeah. Mm. But I also know men are stupid, like, particularly heterosexual men. So I'm like, I reckon they think the same thing. Like, does that make sense? No, I, feel like- I don't think... Yeah, I know that we're told that they think that, but I don't think they think that. No, and I honestly think if a man really likes you, he likes you. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, it just They're allowed to have feelings. And also, it's a good too. way of, like, making sure... You know, you know, it's like... Like, I've dated people and we've tried... Like, we've had sex several times. We're just like, it's not. It's not working. Like, it's just not. Absolutely. We're not clicking, I think know? in a lot of ways, it's like, it can just get things out of the way. Yeah. But I think women, it, we it's harder for us. Because yeah. I think yeah. we attach so much to it. And we have this huge fear, and it's not an unwarranted fear, that people will judge us. Mm. Yeah. It's not just that you attach so much to it. It's you're told and taught to attach a lot to it mm. as well, I've, I feel. I know. And- well, like, my nan bought me some new shoes the other day because she was like, you're having a hard time. I'll buy you some new shoes. And she was like, keep your shoes on and keep your underwear on. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that was just her little piece of advice. And I was like, well, I'm single now. I'll keep one of them on. Yeah. But- my grandma keeps telling me to sow my wild oats. I'm not sure. Because you're, like, <laughs> you're not oh, already. <laughs> you're like, Nana, I've had a lot of sex. <laughs> but I think, and my nan wasn't meaning that in a slut shaming way. No. But we're just like these little sayings and the way women talk to each other, there's constantly this idea of like, what's your number? And if your number's kind of above 10, like that's not yeah. really appropriate. Whereas I love that about the gay community. There's so much sexual freedom and there's so much We have our have numbers tattooed on our arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just like zap it. Um, But like there's way more. Like We've got like a, I've got like a mathematical algorithm to try and work out. My yeah. <laughs> like a notebook that you get I, out like once every single I month. have a note list on my phone. Are you serious? Yeah, so write, does Kyle. Every Kyle line. did and I called him out on it that first week. Um, yeah. so you, you've, you've, how old are you? 25. You want my number, do you, Tom? No, well, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but are you comfortable? Oh, no, it's 77. 77? Yeah. Oh, God, I'm a slut. <laughs> but this is what I mean. Like, I think these, I got 77 in the first six months. These numbers, like, are attached to, like, yeah, make exactly, us feel. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I think, women, it's like, you feel bad about yourself. Mm. And I would, I would say that men, and I guess this is fair, when you're with someone, you don't really want to know about their sexual past. Yeah, mm. but like you're like I'm actually very interested, but I do think women like I think women like shave down their numbers too. Mm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're like I'm yeah. um, one person and I was 14 and a virgin. Yeah, like they're like oh I fucked a guy named Craig last week, but I really <laughs> like you. I think that exists in the gay world too. Like I've dated men who actually didn't want to know anything about my sexual history. And you're like, I have videos. <laughs> yeah, and this I sh- get fucking no, turned on knowing about. Like, yeah, like this I, show I, was like a real deal breaker yeah, right. for that relationship because we could no longer pretend that I had never been fucked yeah. previously to meeting this man. And that hang up, I've seen like similar versions of it mm. in other relationships, not mm. that extreme because I'm constantly trying to find more extreme versions of yeah. the disorders I've dated before. Well, but- my boyfriend and I were friends for about 18 months, two years before we started dating. Yeah, right. So we kind of like lived through both of us, like counting each other's numbers to one another and yeah. being like, well, I just got another one. And like, well, so did I. So like once we got into this relationship, there was no really hiding it. So yeah. we're both very open about 77 or whatever it is. I come from friendships though. Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. you've already shown that different side of vulnerability yeah. than what you were in a relationship. Side, yeah. 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 And you know, like we had fucked before we started dating. I kind of find it hot to hear like 
Show me videos. Tell me stories. I think it's hot. Show you videos. I, think it's, yeah. I would scream. Tell me how I can do it better. <laughs> yeah, I think it's useful, like reconnaissance data. Yeah, you want to know what previous experiences your partners had, so you can know. one up. I want to know you've had like relationships. You know, so I'm not about one upping them. I just something kind of hot about seeing like the person that you like or even love fucking like that. I don't know. I, maybe I'm weird. Like that. I, I would just... scream, but I also think it's like different. Yeah, and I was like, oh, do you want to show me fucking your ex girlfriend? I'm like, oh no, uh, I've got the dishes to do that's very aggressive though like he's just like <laughs> yeah, he's come home indeed. drunk with his phone <laughs> out Dundee. like a dirty cop do you know yeah. what I mean like he's on the wrong side of the law <laughs> we've all been there Mary yeah. <laughs> has anyone ever shut someone down for sex after the first date or one of the first dates and then yeah. cop some flack from the other person uh, so I have this horror s- story I don't know if I told it on the show before but this guy arrived to my apartment and the photos were like very they were deceiving photos when yeah. this guy arrived. He also had a very strange affectation when he spoke, which put him into like the John Wayne Gacy, like oh, you're hot. serial killer sort of vibes. <laughs> Tom's like, turn- he sounds a catch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a turn on. Like, <laughs> Why are you take complaining? What I can get. <laughs> it was just like a really confronting experience. It was when I wasn't being particularly responsible. Mm-hmm. So I'd let this man into my apartment yeah. and I had that first obligation in my mind that I was kind of like, oh, I'll at least try to blow this guy. Um, You're a sweetie. I know. Look, I'm one a for the road. Person. Like, he came all the way. You know? <laughs> and I just couldn't stomach it. Like, I just Got couldn't. Like a mouthful of crisps. Yeah, so I stopped. <laughs> and a I lovely st- metaphor. <laughs> I said, I'm really sorry. I know you've come all this way, but I can't do this. <laughs> he proceeded to stay mm. for like another and now is your housemate? Minutes. Yeah, and, now <laughs> and we're then we married. actually dated for six months after that. Yeah. It was really uh, nice. <laughs> and it was really uncomfortable. You like continually touched me and like retried that boundary mm. until I said, no, you legitimately. I picture you like putting a face mask on, like just settling in for the night. <laughs> yeah. Cup of tea. A... You're like, you can leave whenever. Like, like, I have some chalky in the fridge. <laughs> putting Gil- Gilmore girls on. Yeah. No, it was like, you literally have to leave my apartment. I'm yeah. not having sex with you. That's like the mm. definitive answer. And he was quite upset. He left. And I checked my grinder again because that's where I'd hooked up with yeah. this guy just to make sure. And I was co- like frantically refreshing the feed to make sure the tile was away. moving yeah. away because he just scared, he actually scared the yeah. fuck out of me. And I saw it move closer and closer to a friend of like another oh, no. gay friend Stop of mine. It, no. <laughs> and then they like. Settled Stopped. next to each other. You like get the walkie-talkies out. And you're like, stop! Don't do what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I thought, do I message my friend because this guy's not great? And I, the deliberate sound came in. It was the guy, and he said, "Thanks for nothing. Don't stress about it. Someone else is going to like Ooh. fuck me anyway." And I just like knew, oh, oh, that's my friend. And so I messaged my friend too, and was like, "Don't do it." You're a cock blocker. Like that's all I'm yeah. hearing. <laughs> That's probably the only, yeah, it sounds bad to say, but that's the only time I've ever, like, denied sex. Yeah, I mean, it's not really the answer to the question, though, because was, that was a grinder route. What was the question? Well, I'm more talking about, like, a date. Like, you've gone on a date, you've gone out for dinner, a movie. Oh. I don't know, what do people do on art galleries, theatre? What highbrow so- <laughs> people do you know? <laughs> I haven't been on a date the since polo 1942. The polo when you meet Julie Bishop. We go down to the border aisle. <laughs> we play a spot of polo. <laughs> well, I remember I... um. Because I started, you know, going on dates with guys when I was about 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like 25. <laughs> yeah, they were a lot older than I was. So I was like, you know, sneaking out of my house, lying about my age and doing mm-hmm. all of that. But um, I can remember kind of pushing 
to have sex on the first date and, and this guy were. being like no I want to wait until at least the third one I want to wait until you're of legal age yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. look they didn't know that but like <laughs> but yeah they were like I want to wait till the third one or like you know that and I can remember sitting there being like what the fuck's that about <laughs> like why not like let, like so the flip side of the whole thing like yeah. I've been there yeah right and you're still furious <laughs> <laughs> I met him years later and turned him down for that was nice <laughs> plushcare.com/weightloss. So we're super lucky to be joined by Jo Hurst today. She's a children's author, a mother, and an advocate for transgender children. Thanks for coming in, Jo. Well, thank you so much for having me. Welcome to <laughs> the studio. <laughs> now, Jo, it seems fitting to start with the fact that you've been inspired by your own experiences as a mother to a transgender child. Uh, what have you learned about the trans experience through that journey? Oh, so much. I guess where my journey really started with my child back mm-hmm. in 2014 mm. and Back then, there was no trans visibility. Mm. I'm not even sure whether Caitlyn Jenner was around. If she was, it would not have mm. helped. Mm. So, <laughs> no, no, no. believe me. <laughs> and certainly, transgender mm. children were not spoken yeah. about or heard of. And so, I was I was frightened mm. a- about the word, and I had no idea what it meant. So, it was it was a huge learning curve for me as it is for most uh, i'd say 99 percent of parents of transgender mm. children mm. so unless you are transgender yourself and have a transgender child you're starting mm. out with almost zero knowledge yeah. 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 and there is no handbook mm. yet so <laughs> yet so uh it, it was it was an enormous journey for me and i was lucky enough to have the help of the royal children's hospital mm-hmm. uh and and dr michelle telfer is my mm-hmm. first guide And I took it from there. And I think uh, my most important people who've who've taught me the most along this journey have been people in the transgender community. It's been wonderful learning from them. But also, I've learned so much from my own child, of course, Mm. too. Yeah. And is there um, networks? I imagine there'd be some wonderful networks of, of other parents that are going through similar things as well. Is that a physical space or an online space? Do you? There, there are lots of groups. Uh, the one that I'm a part of, uh, that I'm a board member for, is Parents of Transgender Children, and that's mm. throughout Australia. Uh, they support around a thousand families wow. around Australia at the moment. So th- they have um, support in a multitude of different ways. Mm. Once you contact them, you'll get a phone call from a lovely parent from there who really just holds your hand through the process mm. and listen to you and say, it's okay, everything's going to be mm. all right. And not not guide you through the journey, but mm. just refer you where you need to be referred and listen to you because everybody's journey is different. And yeah. I think it's really important to respect that. 
uh, and people come from all sorts of different backgrounds and mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be on board straight away. Not everyone uh, who has a child who's gender non-conforming will end up being transgender. So mm-hmm. there's all sorts of different pathways. So they will refer parents to different services. Then they can link them up with a secret Facebook group that we have uh-huh. if they want. They cool. can also put them in touch with uh, monthly catch-ups face-to-face that we have with other families. And these are really good for not only the parents but for the children and mm. the, the child's Absolutely, siblings yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have that contact and know that there's other people out there yeah. and you're not alone is really, really important. Sometimes so, – oh, sorry. No you, go. <laughs> no, you go. I was just thinking like sometimes that little extra bit of support Mm. Was what makes the difference. Like we've talked about mental health and it's like the little bits like doing someone's laundry or taking care of a referral takes a load off a parent or someone that's struggling with something and lets them actually concentrate on what's important, which is mm. in this case supporting their child that's going through something. Absolutely. And it's I, I liken it a little bit to the mother's group that you're given when you first have a child. Mm-hmm. But it's mm. not like you can go and talk to the other parents at school about this. Yeah. It's a niche thing. There's no one else in the world who can really understand except someone else who's who's it's going through, going yeah, through the same thing. It sounds like a similar sort of setup to to P flag. Is is that Correct. I believe so. Yeah. I, I believe PFLAG operate in a very similar yeah. way. Yeah, PFLAG are lovely. Fantastic, yeah. And parents of gender diverse children also do some advocacy as mm. well. So they, they try and advocate to to uh, work so that we have fairer laws for everybody as right. well. Right. Amazing. And speaking of different experiences and different backgrounds, I had a bit of a online stalk of you today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you're well. not the only one. <laughs> At least you're a nice stalker. <laughs> yeah. And, and read a bit about your background. You had a mother who was working in a trade, I think was a tradesperson and a father who was a school teacher, oh, yeah. like an English teacher. So your family didn't really believe in those traditional gender stereotypes that we have in popular media. Studies have shown that gender stereotypes can increase the rates of depression in gender non-conforming children, and it, it's kind of shown that it's not actually being trans that's led to these poor mental health statistics we're seeing later in life. It's more the reaction and the attitudes towards them as they grow up that is afflicting their mental health. How have you found that gender stereotypes have contributed to the upbringing of trans children and, yeah. and their development? Yeah, I think there's something like we had the Trans Pathways Survey that came out a couple of years ago out of Perth. Yeah. And it's something like one in two trans young people will attempt suicide mm. and the mental health statistics are really, really bad. And and the people who did that research have said it is because of the way society treats people who are transgender. So um, I think that talks about the media and how the media portray people who are transgender, which is, is vile yes. in, in, mm. in the main, mm. uh, not, not completely, but obviously in the main. Then you look at the way that media affects people. It flows through to the way that politicians make laws. It flows through to education. It flows through to family support. So what what we find often happens is that if there's something really, really nasty in the media, that flows through to family support. So what can happen is that if you have a family who is supporting their transgender child, when there's something bad in the media, those extended family members like aunts and uncles and cousins can hear this negative media and stop supporting that family. Mm. And then that that family support falls apart or 
parents at school will start talking about that negative media and talk about it in front of their children. The children bring it into the playground mm-hmm. and the child starts to be bullied. So I think that's what causes those really harmful statistics. Yeah. But also with gender stereotypes, that's a different thing again. So, yeah, I come from a very unusual background. <laughs> so my mother is Sicilian-Italian and Catholic, very Catholic as well. So she was brought up with those really, really strict gender norms where men go out to work, they earn the money, women are supposed to look pretty, hmm. they're supposed she was she was supposed to do her hair and her makeup. Well she did her hair, makeup, nails absolutely perfectly. She helped her mother clean the house, her brothers did nothing, her father did nothing. Absolutely typical. And and that's how it always was at my nonna's house. Yeah. I mean, and I'd go over as a child even and my brother and my male cousin would sit with the men and play cards. Yeah. While my female cousin and I had to go and do the dishes with uh-huh. Nonna and all the female aunts until I rebelled and said, that's it. Mm. I'm not having Mm. this anymore. (laughs) And made my mum drag the boys in. They weren't happy. But um, my mum rebelled against that. She married my father, who was English. This was a big no-no in an Italian family back then to marry someone who who wasn't – you're supposed to have an arranged marriage Mm. for starters, but to marry someone who wasn't uh, Sicilian or someone that the family knew was, was huge. But it gave her a lot of freedom and slowly she became herself. And really, my mum's natural gender expression is to have her hair short and to Mm -hmm. wear jeans and to wear really male clothing and have a very masculine gender expression, Mm. although she identifies completely as female. Mm. So uh, very slowly, dad made her feel very comfortable about being herself. He was really comfortable with mum doing whatever she wanted to do. They had a lovely, beautiful relationship. So mum would be outside fixing the mower and... um, (laughs) And dad would be inside and go, can I make you a cup of tea, darling? <laughs> you know, great. Thanks for fixing the mower for me. <laughs> you know, it was lovely. And dad would be inside doing the dishes while mum would be outside fixing the car. And so mum taught her, was a self-taught builder and she used to run her own handywoman service in the 70s, which was wow. very, very unusual. So I grew up realising that there were many different ways to be mm. a woman and that that was okay. You didn't have to to dress up and look pretty and all that sort of thing. So when my son was born and he rejected that kind of gender Mm. expression that was typically female, I didn't think anything of it. I thought that was just kids being kids. And to use a word that I don't like to use for children, Mm. I thought he was just a tomboy. So Mm. it did kind of affect the way I thought about my child. But then I realised that gender identity and gender expression are completely different things. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realise, that who you are inside Mm. can be completely different to what you wear Mm. on the outside and how you Mm. express yourself. And I think we're learning that if we can break down gender stereotypes to get to the other part of your question. (laughs) Sorry, it's a really long-winded answer. You gave me a whopper. You gave me a whopper. (laughs) I think we know now that if we can break down gender stereotypes, we can break down domestic violence. We can get women into more jobs, get women better education, better jobs. We can have less male suicide. and There are all sorts of really fantastic positive outcomes. If you don't mind me asking about your your personal journey uh, with your own child, how did you go with the education system? I was very, very lucky. Yeah. So, I was so lucky to live in Victoria. At the time, there was Safe Schools Victoria. Yeah. And Ros Ward was the person allocated to come out to our school. So, I actually contacted them. Wow. Uh, I had a very supportive school to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in inner Melbourne, which yeah. is 
fabulous. <laughs> Love inner Melbourne. So all the parents at my school were just fabulously Great. supportive. They're yeah. just awesome. Love my school. Love the parents. Love the community. Fantastic. So then Roz came out to the school and spoke to the teachers mm-hmm. and really helped us sort of work out how this conversation was going to happen with the children and work out how everything worked because you'd be surprised you know you have to change policies within the school back then because we didn't even have the policies for changing names and things like that within the school but now we have all those things but we didn't back then Mm. so I was very very lucky to be very well supported oh fantastic because you do hear stories that sadly aren't that great yeah unfortunately that is the norm not to be well supported in Victoria we do still have safe schools within Mm. the education department but we don't have any gender education in our primary schools even in Victoria. Mm, So, yeah, I I think it's really sad because we've got hundreds and hundreds hundreds of um, transgender children Mm -hmm. in our schools and yet no gender education in our primary schools, Mm. which is really sad. Mm. And Joe, you actually published your book, The Gender Fairy, in 2015. Um, It's actually Australia's first picture book for transgender kids. Can you enlighten us, uh, like, uh, the process of writing a book like that? Yeah. That was a bit of a shock, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know I was going to do that. I had a conversation with Michelle Telfer one day and said, look, I've written this story because I'd written the story for my own child. My dad, who was a school teacher, had always written stories for us. So I wrote a story for my child, Yeah, (laughs) which is just something I did. I said, look, it'd be really nice to maybe, you know, photocopy it and put it Mm. out there for the children at the gender service at the Royal Children's Hospital. Mm. She said, why don't you publish it? We've got nothing. We really need something. And I looked around, there was really nothing. Mm. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll publish that. And I I thought I'll self-publish. I won't go to a publisher because I thought, well, I just assumed Mm. no one would publish a book Mm. like this. And also I wanted to maintain control of every single word because every single word was going to be really important. Mm -hmm. So I self-published and the school community really got around me, which was wonderful. I had one of the mums helped me with my website. Mm. Another mum helped me with the publishing details. Another mum even helped with the launch at the school and baked cakes. They were really beautiful. Another one taught me social media, <laughs> which was lovely. <laughs> you know? Bev Killick, she's a comedian. Oh, she well, taught me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she taught me social media. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything. And I spoke to a lot of people in the transgender community and some yeah. groups like Why mm. Gender and Transgender Victoria and made sure that it was using the right kind of language. Then I approached Ros Ward to co-write the notes at the back Mm -hmm. for adults. And Michelle Telfer, the head of the gender service Mm. at the Royal Children's Hospital, wrote the foreword, so Mm. I published. There's also some great, I saw online, you've got some great stuff around the book as well for schools and classrooms and also for uh, parents to discuss with their kids as well. How did you develop that? I'm a trained primary teacher myself, so and I was sort of concerned that there was nothing in school. So it was Mm. great at the time to give schools an idea of how Mm. it could be used. But really the main aim of the Gender Fairy is for transgender children themselves. And my new book, A House for Everyone, is more catered towards the classroom. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. but it's definitely still, you can use the Gender Fairy, absolutely for sure. But personally, I prefer A House for Everyone for school rooms now. Okay. I think when I published A House for Everyone, it was the first one that included different gender identities and different expressions. There are now two more books in the world like that. 
And there are a few more books now about transgender children, which are fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I th- that's fantastic, I think, because, you know, we're still talking about media before and how people are presented in the media, especially uh, transgender people presented in the media. And for kids of a primary school age, books really is one of their main sources of information and, and media and that sort of thing. So I think that's brilliant that there's mm. an increase in that sort of stuff. What kind of age do you recommend um, kids start reading The Gender Fairy? I think you could read The Gender Fairy from about the age of four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it would have to be read by a parent who's explaining it along the way. It's really designed for about five and up. Mm-hmm. But um, for a prep classroom, kinder classroom, mm-hmm. grade one, grade two, grade three. Fantastic. I've read it to grade fives and grade yeah. sixes as well. I think it's really amazing to talk about your experience in 2014 with such limited visibility mm-hmm. to think about now you know, obviously it's not great. No, and, but it's and, a discussion yeah. that's happening now. But it's a discussion. We have books. We have Pose on TV as well. And it's just something... I think visibility is... Mm. Like, it wasn't until you said that sitting in this room, I was like, 2014, yeah, there was nothing. Like, nothing. even yeah. as a member of the LGBT community, I was like, I wasn't really seeing anything. There's um, been so. a gender revolution. Yeah, it's pretty amazing <laughs> to yeah. be a part of that. National um, Geographic actually had a, um, a big article about it and on the front page they called it the gender revolution they had a young trans girl from america on the front page and i think we've had some really good visibility Mm, here in australia too Mm. we've had um the abc program for children first day Mm. uh with evie mcdonald a transgender actor in it and she was i think in grade six at the time she filmed that and that's going to be made into a series at the beginning of next year. So we're starting to get some young visibility. The visibility of young trans children is very difficult because we don't want to expose yeah. young yeah, young children yeah, to the media. Really I, I certainly wouldn't expose my child. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be reluctant to expose anyone else's very young yeah. child. That's why it's great to have you know young actors like like Evie mm. out there mm. because we need that visibility and we need mm. to, need people to know that these children are normal and they're out there but we don't want to put them out there for the media to yeah. pull apart yeah. Yeah. and they deserve their privacy these children need just to be kids oh yeah if you look at the stuff they're saying about greta Thumbberg. Oh my yeah. gosh, so, moment, so disgusting. Like, but I mean, even she's sixteen though. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I know. Minus eight. Sorry, um, the Australian uh, Christian Lobby were pulling images from you know resources that had been issued by minus eight and, and using images of young, young LGBTI people. Yeah. Wow. people. Well, speaking of the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, the books received praise from some wonderful people, like the Victorian Minister for Equality, Martin Foley, or Holy Moly, Martin Foley, as I like to call it, <laughs> and uh, Senator Janet Rice. But the Australian Christi- Christian Lobby. Of course, decided to take aim at the book during the same-sex marriage postal oh. vote, mm. calling it contested gender theory. They have they're very creative with some yeah. of the terms they come up to describe it's people. It's very neutrally. Yeah, worded. they're so <laughs> aggressive. How is it that your book about young transgender children was drawn into the marriage equality debate? So it actually started earlier than that. It started back in the beginning of 2016. So when the book was launched in I think late 2015. Uh, Martin Foley actually gave a speech at the launch and and Janet Rice sent along a delegate. She was uh, in the Senate at the time and then she spoke about it in the Senate, which Mm. was lovely support and everything was going really well. And then the full-on war, I call it the Safe Schools War Mm. of of 2016 started and the gender fairy was right Mm. at the centre of that. So what had happened is someone who worked at Safe Schools put 
the Gender Fairy on their website and said, look at this great book, go and buy it, because mm. they weren't allowed to produce resources and still aren't allowed mm. to produce resources for primary schools. And they were desperate for something. Schools are crying out for these resources mm. because they have these children they don't know how to support. As a result, the Australian Christian Lobby and other anti-LGBTI groups decided that the Gender Fairy was a safe schools resource mm-hmm. and that Ros Ward wrote it. Mm-hmm. And they decided to use that myth as part of their lobbying against safe schools. So it got caught up in the, the early safe schools war of 2016. And I think to date... I said recently there were over 25 negative articles written about it. I think there's been now 30 plus. Wow. It's, it's a continuing thing. So then, obviously, when the plebiscite started, I knew the gender fairy was going to be a big Drawn target it, because yeah. it always is. I think it's been on at least seven anti-LGBTI political flyers in three different elections minimum. So when the ad came on, I wasn't that surprised. There was Mm. a television ad. What was really sad about that, though, was that so many transgender children saw that ad Mm. because it was, Mm. I think it was at the beginning of some show like The Block or something Mm. like that. It was mainstream time, mainstream television. And a few children were sitting there and got really, really excited because they saw the book on television thinking it was a really good thing. I know one mum nearly broke her hip trying to get over the couch to to that remote to turn it off. And I didn't let my children watch Fred Air television during the whole plebiscite. It was a really, really awful, stressful time. Disgusting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they can use mainstream media in the highest rating TV shows like The Block and Mm. that sort of stuff to attack a resource that's really there to make kids feel okay is was a pretty mm. disgusting mm. time that it, it, it's only been a couple of years since that whole debate and it it's already hard to believe how bad it was and how yeah. divisive some of those uh, campaigns were and also just fundamentally wrong like yeah. to not factually be correct yes. yeah, about yeah. so yeah. much whilst being so widely mm. broadcast yeah. that's the part that mm. baffles me all the random facts and it statistics. makes me feel like yeah. anyone could mm. get up with enough money yeah. And start a campaign mm. based on it. Like, I know I'm describing a lot of political campaigns. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a bit like the climate debate. Science yes. doesn't come into it for climate deniers. Mm. And it's a bit like the anti-vax debate. Science oh, yeah. doesn't yeah, so come true. into it. So, facts don't come into it when they're talking about transgender children. They will ignore the science. There's a whole so-called paediatric group um, set up in America Mm. who I think there's about 600 of them compared to the 60,000 real group in America. Mm. And part of their sign-up is that you have to ignore the scientific facts if it doesn't align with your religious beliefs. Mm, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, that, that's how it goes. Yeah. You, you know, yes. you have to throw facts and science out the window. Mm. And I think that's what happened during the plebiscite is that those conversations were happening. They filtered through to the playground. Mm. And every day mm. I was hearing stories of children who were suicidal. Mm. And I still do from the mm. media that's happening today. When the Australian is on a mission at the moment to obliterate transgender children Mm. and they've been on this for a couple of months now Mm. i i I guess you know within the support group and people i support from around australia i hear the most horrific stories Mm. and it it, i just i I, it's horrible Mm. you know i don't don't have words to describe it and they don't care Mm. the people who are out there saying these things they just don't care Mm. awful so we, you have mentioned your second book, A House for Everyone, which is more a story about helping children to learn about 
what you spoke about earlier before, mm. the difference between gender identity and gender expression. Now, if people out there, I don't know why, but if they had heterosexual friends who had just mm. given birth or wanted wanted to start introducing their children to the idea of gender expression and nonconformity, what could they say to accompany the book mm. and the gift? That's a really good question, actually. Yeah. I think that as parents, we have... As Neville Zizen said in their book, Finding Neville, that parents have a GPS set for their child and we need to let go of that GPS and let the child have their Mm. own journey. And Mm. I think that a house for everyone lets children know that it's okay to be who you are. You can be a girl who is the fastest runner in the school and has the shortest hair and only likes to wear T-shirt and shorts. You can be a boy who likes to wear dresses and likes sparkly shoes. If you're transgender, that's okay. If you're someone who feels like you're not just a boy or not just a girl, that's okay too. I think it's really important to let your child know they can be who they are. And it's good for the children to know that we're all the same, we're all different, but we're all friends. I think that's a really important mm. message for mm. every child, no matter who they are. So that's Absolutely. what I like about that book, is that there's something for everybody. It's mm. great. Mm. Well, um, Joe, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Okay. Thank you. You're an absolutely amazing person. So thanks so much for giving Thank me the time. Thank you so much. And, and Joe, um, where can people buy your book? Oh, oh right. So <laughs> The Gender Fairy is only available from my website, okay. uh, thegenderfairy.com. And you can buy a house, from, a house for Everyone. You can buy that anywhere. Yeah, Thank you for joining Great. us for our 50th episode. <laughs> 65. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 